Okay, we're going to go ahead and try to get started here. Get going pretty much on time. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you as our Heavenly Father. Lord, that by way of the new birth, you have made us part of your family. And Lord, that we are new creations in Christ. We are citizens of the heavenly realm. We may be residing in this world, but the moment we accepted Christ as Savior, this ceased to be our real home. And Lord, as new creations, you are tirelessly working to conform us to the image of your dear Son. And Lord, as we're going to see in our chapter today, it's a lifelong journey. That you are not in a hurry, you're working from eternity and for eternity. And Lord, you call upon us to just patiently trust you as you take us through the various uh, events of life, seeking to mold us along the way so that increasingly we show forth the very image of Christ. Lord, I pray for this time. I pray that you would guide my thoughts and words. I pray that you would work in the hearts and lives of each one here. Lord, we're all at different stages of our development. But Lord, you know where each of us are. You know what each of us needs to learn today. And we're trusting you uh, to guide each of us as individuals. So, Lord, we just want to commit this time now to you. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be getting into chapter 2 today, uh, the chapter on time. And if we need to get a few more chairs, we can get a few more chairs, but hopefully we can get everybody in. If anybody needs a book, there's some... Uh, books back there. Again, if you already have one and you forgot yours and you want to borrow one today, feel free to do so. Just uh, be uh, sure and return it. Uh, we, we're more than happy to buy enough books for everybody to have their own copy. And so even for you married couples, you're welcome to one for each of you. You families that are with us, you can all have one. Uh, we just want you to, to have uh, this book to be able to uh, look at during the week and, and, uh, and then have as we go through the chapter. Now we spent our last two t- <coughs> times together dealing with faith. Incredibly important subject. Everything in this book rests back on the issue of faith. We saw what faith is and what faith isn't. And the world has a very distorted view of faith. That uh, to the world, faith is believing stuff that there's no evidence for. It's just kind of blindly believing things. And yet, biblical faith is not that. Biblical faith is putting our confidence in the very statements of God. It's, uh, uh, biblical faith has evidence behind it. The very statements of, a, of the most reliable witness there is, and that is God himself. And as we move forward through this book, we're going to be seeing different things that God tells us in his word. 
and things that he has demonstrated through his work throughout the course of history. That uh, we uh, are called to put our confidence in as we move forward in our Christian life. Now today, I think there's another significant chapter. To me, almost every chapter is significant. Um, but it's the chapter on time. And, you know, I normally don't ask for a show of hands, but I, I just like to see, okay, in this room, how many, are there any in here who have been a Christian less than five years? Okay, so everybody's been o over five years. Anybody between five and ten years? Wow. Okay, we got a few. How, how about ten and fifteen? Okay. How about 15 and 20? Okay. How about maybe between 20 and 30? I'll take longer chunks, okay? <laughs> How about 30 and 40? Okay. How about 40 and 50? Okay. How about 50 and 60? Still a few. How about over 60? All I'm trying to do is make a point. That in this room, we have people of all different spiritual ages. And that's important as we function together as a body. And the spiritual ages in this, this room are not do not necessarily correspond all the time with the physical ages. That you have some who are older physically who are still fairly young spiritually. And that's important to grasp as we work together as a, func as a body because sometimes our expectations of people don't take into account where they're at spiritually in their spiritual development. When we <clears throat> went to Ireland, there was a couple uh, with our mission over there who, when we got there, they had a son who was about nine years old who looked like he was 13. And they said... You know, it's a real, um, it's really difficult at times because people look at him and say he is acting so immaturely. And yet he was acting like a nine-year-old. He just had a body that looked like a 13-year-old. And so, you know, people's expectations of him were unrealistic. And our expectations sometimes of others in the body of Christ can be unrealistic. Because we don't always take into account that we're at different places in our spiritual development. I've been a believer now for 65 years. I should not expect someone who is... Ten years in the Lord necessarily to understand at times <clears throat> things that I've learned. <clears throat> when I taught up at the Bible Institute, 
I had to bear in mind when I walked into the classroom that those students were at all different ages spiritually and none of them came even close to being where I was at age-wise in the Lord. We didn't have anybody that old taking classes. You know, that could be, you know, uh, my age in the Lord. And at times even, you know, over the years as I prepared for my classes, God would open my eyes to something I had never seen before. And I had to be careful that I didn't walk into the classroom, share it with the class, and expect them to grasp it. It may have taken me 60 years to grasp it. And I want somebody to take hold of it now because I shared it with them. No. Understanding the concept of time in our spiritual development is incredibly important. It's incredibly important for yourself to understand the time that's involved in God developing you, but it's also incredibly important in dealing with others. That we realize this time factor. Again, when we went to Ireland, you know, uh, I think I shared when we were doing the overview here at the first, that, uh, you know... uh, the group that was over there doing church planning, they had gone over with this plan that they were going to plant a church and in three years' time they were going to develop it up and have Irish leadership and move on and plant another church. Sounds good on paper. Didn't exactly work that way. Because to think that you can go from scratch to developing elders, a term that implies spiritual age, in three years' time was unrealistic. Now I understand, you know, there was a lot of pressure from the states, you know, of not just having churches that had to have missionaries forever in them, that you wanted to develop local leadership But there was an unrealistic expectation of the time that would be involved in that. Couples, the Lord let Joan L. and I work with while we were there. We worked with them nine years. And when we left, they were walking solidly in the Lord and still are. But it took nine years to see them come to that place. So today we're going to be talking about time and I've just spent a bit of time introducing this because I want you to understand how incredibly important this is that we understand this time factor now again I'll throw some slides up as we go I will point out you know what I have on these powerpoint slides is not any information that's not already in your book (laughs) it's just at times emphasizing certain things But, you know, everything uh, that I put up here, you can basically find it in your book. Sometimes I reword things just slightly. I may summarize some things, but it's all in there. But, you know, he starts out with this statement. It seems that most believers have difficulty in realizing and facing up to the inexorable fact that God does not hurry in his development of our Christian life. 
Again, this book will develop your uh, vocabulary. Uh, I don't know how many of you use the word inexorable in your daily conversation. The word means something that's impossible to stop or prevent. He's saying most believers have difficulty in realizing and facing up to this unstoppable, you know, unpreventable fact that God does not hurry in developing our Christian life. And this is incredibly important. God is not in a huge rush to develop you. He says he is working from and for eternity. Went too far. God created time. You see this in the opening chapter of Genesis. You and me, we're creatures of time. You know, <clears throat> we only have so many hours in a day and so many days in a week and so many weeks in a month and so many months in a year. You know, time is a huge deal to us. It is not to God. God has the time he needs to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And God is looking at things from an eternal perspective. He's looking at your life, he's looking at my life from an eternal perspective. And he's going, he, all his desire is, and we'll see this when we get into chapter 4, is to conform you and me to the image of Christ. Quite a challenging task. And he will take whatever amount of time is necessary to achieve it. He goes on, he says, so many feel that, if they are, that they are not making progress unless they are swiftly forging ahead. And he says, now it is true that the new convert often begins and continues for some time at a fast rate. But this will not continue if there is to be healthy growth and ultimate maturity. God himself will modify the pace. This is important to see since in most instances when seeming declension sets in, it's not as so many think a matter of backsliding. See, the Christian life very often starts out with a real rapid uh, growth spurt. But that doesn't continue. You know, I guess there's a comparison uh, to the physical realm. When a baby is born into this world, initially they develop pretty quickly. Okay, Heather, I'll put you on the spot. How long does it take a baby to, do to double in its size? <laughs> Only a few months' time. You know, an eight-pound baby... In a few months' time, we'll be 16 pounds. But you know, that rate will not continue. You know, 
If that, if that baby took six months to develop, uh, double from eight to 16, and then in another 16, another uh, uh, six months, uh, uh, doubled to 32, and another six months, doubled to 64, and another six months, doubled, uh, you know, to 128. By the time he's two years old, he's 128 pounds. <laughs> that would not be healthy growth. <laughs> Your pediatrician would be saying something to you <laughs> if at two years old your baby weighed 128 pounds. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so would Guinness World Records, but but you you know a child has an initial rapid growth that slows down, and then there will be growth spurts along the way. You know, you'll go for a while, and their clothes fit them, and clothes fit them, and then the next thing you know, their pant legs are six inches too short. Why? They got a growth spurt. Well, it's similar, I think, in the Christian life. Initially, God enables us to grow very rapidly for a short period of time. But then he begins to slow things down. And sometimes you have those times where it seems to stand still. It's just like I say with your child where uh, for months on end, their, their clothes seem to fit them. They don't really seem to be growing much. And he says, if you don't understand this, that a lot of times we start looking at this other believer and we say, oh, they're backsliding. Which to me, it's not even a biblical term. I don't know if you realize this. The word backslide only appears, I think, one time in Scripture, and it's in the Old Testament dealing with the nation of Israel. Our new creation life does not go backwards. We'll talk about this more as we get in another chapter. What we do at times is step off of our new creation life back into the flesh, which never changes. And it looks like we went backwards when in reality we stepped into an unchanged realm. And we'll deal with that in a later study. But who I am and what I have in Christ doesn't go backwards. It may stagnate at times. We may sit still for a while. And you know, when a, again, when a child is born into this world, the parent knows that they, it's going to take a good 20 years for that child to, to mature. I know there's some in the back row that say 18 or this or that, you know. But... <laughs> But by and large, we're expecting 20 years. Now, you can feed them the best food available. You can put them on all sorts of, of vitamins and supplements. And you may can keep them healthy, but you cannot cause them to grow up faster. Now, you can stunt their growth. You can stunt their growth physically. You can stunt their growth emotionally. You can hold them back 
in their Christian, I mean, in their physical and emotional development, but you cannot accelerate it. And the same is true in the Christian life. You know, if if we are do not feed upon the Word, we can be stunted. We can have believers who have been Christians for 20 years and haven't, and basically are no more mature than a, than a one-year-old in the Lord. If they have not been fed, if, you know, if they have not been encouraged forward in their Christian development. I know we worked, when, when I was still at FOA, we worked with a fellow, he was in his 60s. And he said he, he, he could remember when he accepted the Lord when he was 13. But he was in a very legalistic church. And he kept not measuring up. And they kept telling him he was going to lose his salvation and go to hell. And he said he reached a point where he figured, okay, I'm going to go to hell. So I'm just going to in, uh, enjoy doing whatever I want now. And he lived... Till he was in his 60s like that. And he came to us and for the first time he came to understand who he was and what he had in Christ. And his life began to grow. His uh, uh, new life began to grow and develop. But see, he was stunted for all those years. Because not only was he not fed, he was fed error. And it held him back. So we need to know that, you know, it is going to take time. We cannot make things happen a lot faster. But we also can hinder things if we aren't feeding. First on the milk of the word and then as we mature on the meat of the word and letting it grow us. In our relationship to the Lord. Now. He goes on. He says. John, John Darby makes it plain. It is God's way to set people aside. After their first start. That self confidence may die down. Thus Mo- Moses was 40 years on his first start. Uh, on his first start. He had to run away. Paul was three years also after his first testimony. Not that God did not approve of his first earnest testimony. He says we must get to know ourselves and that we have no strength. So, you know, God said, I mean, shows in his word that, you know, after this initial growth spurt at the beginning a lot of times the God kind of sets us aside lets us spend some time learning to about ourselves you know during that time often there's this attempt to go out and do things for Christ and there's a lot of exert, uh, exhortations uh, towards that end, you know. Christ gave his all for you. Now you need to go give your all for him. And you need to get out there and you need to do your best for Christ. 
And God will let you try and he'll let you fail. He'll let you come to a realization that you can't do it. You know, Moses, he points out, at 40 years of age, he was, uh, was going to help his people. He, it started by him killing an Egyptian and then having to flee for his life. For, and, and for 40 years, wander around in a wilderness with a bunch of sheep. And when God appeared to him in his burning bush and, and exor- you know, called him to lead the children of Israel, what did he say? Lord, I can't do it. Ask somebody else to do it. Lord, I can't do it. See, Moses had come to a, a significant place during that time. Being raised in the household of Pharaoh, he thought... He had abilities he didn't have. It was only after 40 years in the wilderness with the sheep that he came to an awareness of what he didn't have. And then he was at a place where God could use him. He says, you know, Paul who knew the Old Testament scriptures inside and out. He was a Pharisee. Yet when he got saved, God took him out into the Arabian wilderness for three years. To prepare him. So there's different time factors involved here. But the same principle involved. That... After that initial salvation, there, there, there's time involved in God developing us. And a big part of that development is teaching us, not I. So that ultimately he can teach us but Christ. And that involves time. We don't like that. But it's reality. It takes time. Again, the couples we worked with in Ireland. It started when one came to us and said, Look, I have tried my best to live the Christian life and I cannot do it. I know I'm going to heaven when I die, but I'm ready just to walk away from the church and everything else because I can't do it. And I looked at her and I said, you are at an incredibly good place. You've learned the hard part. The not I part. Now how about let's just forget trying to do this and just get to know Christ. Let's just get to know him. And she said, I'm willing to do that. And then she... Later, her husband contacted and said, can I come with her and meet with her? And she said, sure. And then other couples began to meet with us. And like I say, it took nine years, but we saw their, their lives turned around. But it started with coming to a place almost of despair of saying, I cannot do it. I don't have the ability. And one of the things I really and appreciated about working with these folks in Ireland is every one of them said we will not play a game 
We will not act like we have it all together. We want something real or we don't want it at all. And I think one of the most difficult things at times in working with uh, other believers is that people put on a facade of, of spirituality, a facade uh, of maturity that's not there. And it's hard working with them. We were in a church for a while down in Florida where the pastor used to make a, a statement that always made me cringe. He said, fake it till you make it. People who fake it well never make it because they're satisfied with faking it. And I love the fact that our Irish friends wouldn't fake it. Now, it was a roller coaster ride. The ups and downs of their Christian life, the times when they seemed hungry and the times they didn't. But we always knew where they were at. We always knew what we were dealing with. And we knew the time factor. And we knew that if we kept, if they kept their eyes on the Lord, if they kept growing in their relationship to Christ, maturity would come. But it would take time. And so we were willing to invest time. Almost everybody the Lord's... I mean, it's one thing at the school, we only had two years. But with most people that the Lord's involved us with over the year, it's been long-term investments. It's been time investments. But then we've seen the Lord work. So, you know, he says we must, uh, we must learn, um, to, or we must get to know ourselves, that we have no strength. Thus, we must learn to lean upon the Lord, uh, learn, and then leaning on the Lord, we can with more maturity and more experiential, uh, experientiality uh, deal with souls. See, it's only when we learn our own abilities, when we learn to lean on the Lord, that we with more maturity can deal with other believers in, a, in an experiential way. Why can I accept the fact that it is going to take somebody that we're ministering to years to develop? I can accept that fact because it's taken me years to develop. I know the time factor in my own life. I can look back. I can see how many years at time it took God to bring me to a point of understanding of certain things. I can look back at my life and see how long it took God to bring me to a place of trusting him with certain things. I see the time factor in my own life. And so I can accept the time factor in other people's lives. And just be patient. And accept that the Lord is at work. And they may not be moving along at the pace I would like. But at the pace he knows is best. 
because he's seeking to develop something real. You know, you can very quickly teach certain people how to act like mature Christians. When they come into church on Sunday, they can put on those appearances. I don't know if uh, over the years you've ever seen children who have learned to act very mature. Some of them, especially only uh, children, you know, who are around adults a lot. They use adult terminology and they can act uh, adult in some way. But I'll tell you this, they aren't adults. And whether they act like an adult and talk like an adult, it's still going to take them years to become an adult. But in the Christian life, I think... Learning to act this way only slows the process down. Because you fail to see your need. If you can make yourself look like you've got it all together in the Lord, you don't really see your need of Him. I'd a whole lot rather see struggling believers than believers who have no struggles at all. Because the ones who aren't struggling, I don't think are being honest at times. I mean, people used to say to my dad, how can you work with those alcoholics and drug addicts and substance abusers? He said, it's a lot easier working with some of them than with a lot of church members. Because he said, most of them know they have a problem. A lot of people in the pew on Sunday mornings don't have a clue they have a problem. They're looking around at everybody else around them who have problems. But they don't see their own problems. Growth involves us coming to see our own inabilities and that takes time. I can look back on my own life and see various times where I just came to the Lord and acknowledged, you know, that I couldn't do this. And each of those times was a step forward as he then began to show me Christ's provisions to carry me forward. He says... Since the Christian life matures and becomes fruitful by the principle of growth, 2 Peter 3.18, rather than struggling in experiences. You know, fruitfulness comes from growth. If my life is to bear forth Christ's fruit, it will come as I grow in the Lord. It's not my struggles, it's not my experiences that make me fruitful, it's my growth. And that growth takes time. That's why he says, this growth takes time. It takes a lot of it. Much time is involved. Unless we see and acquiesce or give in to this, there is bound to be constant frustration. To say nothing of resistance to our Father's development process 
for us. So he says we've got to, you know, give in to this fact. Otherwise, we're constantly going to be frustrated. Lord, why am I not where, you know, I want to be spiritually? Or even more frustrating, why is this other person not where I want them to be? You know, we can't, sometimes can accept our own time factor more than we can accept other people's time factor. I want them to be grown up. I want them to have arrived. And we get frustrated. And at times we can resist the Lord by trying our own ways. Trying to do it ourselves instead of looking to his grace. I like this illustration that he gives next. H. Strong illustrates it for us. A student asked the president of his school whether he could, uh, could not take a shorter course than the one prescribed. Oh yes, replied the president. But then it depends on what you want to be. When God wants to make an oak, he takes a hundred years. When he wants to make a squash, he takes six months. That's a pretty slow-growing squash, but... Uh, <laughs> Strong also wisely points out that growth is not a uniform thing in the tree or the Christian. In some single months, there's more growth than in all the year besides. During the rest of the year, however, there is solidification, without which the green timber would be useless. The period of rapid growth when woody fiber is actually deposited between the bark and the trunk occupies uh, but four or six weeks in May, June, and July. I think that's a good illustration. God, we're going to see when we get to chapter 4, is seeking to conform us to the image of Christ. He's not trying to make us into squash. And it's going to take a long time. And like he says here, there's going to be periods of growth followed by periods of solidification. And I, that was something I always tried to... advise our seniors about right before they graduated. I said, you know, you've spent two years here and you have grown so much in those two years. But God's not going to let it keep going like this. He's got to solidify what you've learned. He's got to take what you know up here and work it into your life. And that's going to take time. And so don't be shocked at what the next few years hold for you. As God takes all these truths you've been learning and begins to work them into your daily life and your experience to grow you. And even after sharing that with them, I often would get emails from students a year or so after they graduated talking about the struggle they were having and what was wrong. And I'd write back, there's nothing wrong. The Lord's just working these truths into your life. 
He's taking time to develop you. And everything you learn will uh, ultimately be taken by him and worked into your life. And I mean, this isn't in this chapter, but I'll throw this in there. You're always going to know more than you're using. Because by the time you're using what you know now, you'll know more. I think a good illustration is they say that when you learn a new word, it's generally about five years before it becomes part of your daily vocabulary. You'll know the definition of it for about five years and then you'll start to actually use it when you talk. So I guess five years from now, you'll start using inexorable. (laughs) But by the time you start using that word, you'll know the meaning of more words. That it'll take time to work into your life. And so the truths you're learning now will take time to filter down from what you just mentally know to where they begin to change your life. We have to accept that. He says, let's settle it once and for all. There are no shortcuts to reality. A meteor is on a shortcut as it proceeds to burn out, but not a star with its steady light, so often depended on by navigators. Unless the time factor is acknowledged from the heart, there's always the danger of turning to the false enticement of a shortcut via means of experiences and blessings where one becomes pathetically enmeshed in the vortex of ever-changing feelings, adrift from the moorings of scriptural facts. He said, if we don't accept the time fact, we're going to spend our life looking for shortcuts. You know, if I could just have this experience, then I will arrive. You know, if I, I, I just could get this special blessing from the Lord, then I'd be there. And I can spend my Christian life looking for those experiences and blessings rather than buckling down, feeding on the Word, and letting God take His time to grow me and develop me. And all it will do is hinder you. talks about getting a dr- uh, letting our feelings move us adrift from the moorings of scripture the moorings where you tie a boat fast our lives are to be moored to this to the statements of god and by faith trusting him and trusting that in his time he will carry us forward Now, that's as far as we're going to get this morning. Uh, We'll pick up there next week. We'll end up spending two weeks on this chapter again. Uh, But, again, it is a good chapter. Any questions? I mean, I've got a minute or two. And I'll also be... Could I make this observation? Sure. This is so valuable. Yeah. One of the major fallacies in the Bible church movement is that 
our spirituality is based on how many facts we know about the Bible. Most people, starting with myself, mm. we don't need so much to learn more. We just need to apply what we already know. Mm. And there's the time factor. Yeah. And we don't just need to know the facts, we need to know the one behind the facts. Really get to know him. And that's where, when we get into chapter 3, we have, is it 3 or 4? I guess it's 4. I get one of my favorite quotes in the whole book where he talks about coming to the Word, not to get our mind full of facts about the Word, but to meet the Lord. It's not knowing the knowing the one. And as we come to know him, he will change us. He will transform us. Okay, that's good observation. Thanks. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you do not weary in the work you're doing in our lives. Your Holy Spirit is tirelessly working from the day of our salvation forward, seeking to mold us into Christ's precious image. And Lord, that's not an easy process as he starts out with men and women who are full of self. And initially, even self tries to produce Christ. And it's only through our abject failure and at times our despair that we come to the place of saying, Lord, I can't do it. And he says, that's what I've, where I've been trying to bring you all along. Let me produce what you can't do. And then, Lord, he begins to show us all that we are, all that we have in Christ. And the Spirit begins to teach us how to take hold of what's been ours since the moment of salvation. And little by little, he transforms us. Lord, we thank you for the assurance we're given in 1 John that one day we will be like him. And that day will be when we look on him in all of his glory. But until that day, we thank you that you're going to move us ever forward in that direction now lord we pray just for the time we'll have together in the main service the, as we sing praises to you as we again look into your word lord just do your work in each of our hearts first in the precious name of jesus we pray amen, amen.